seeing yourself as a leader also comes with responsibility. I don't want to take the responsibility of leadership lightly. So I have to apply that to all areas of my life, not just inside of business. I also learned how to become a fearless communicator. And that was a really important thing for me. I pride myself with being able to connect with people, focusing on that relationship first, and then the doors for everything else will remain wide open. I really love what we do with this company, with Vector. There's just so many things that just learning sales provides. Most importantly, fearless communicating. Michael Dobson is a fearless communicator. He establishes strong personal connections, asks deep questions, and loves guiding and mentoring others. Michael takes seriously the responsibility of leadership and truly strives to bring his best to his organization. This inspiring conversation will challenge you to expand your comfort zone as a communicator and influencer. This is one of the all-time top district managers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. Hall of Famer, Michael Dobson. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. My guest today is Michael Dobson, one of the uh, most accomplished district managers in the history of the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization. His time with the company goes back to the year 2000. Uh, he was a student at University of Texas at Austin, was great as a sales rep, left the business for several years, graduated from UT Austin in 2004, and then was brought back into the Cutco Vector business and became a district manager in 2006, originally in Garland, Texas, in the Dallas Metroplex, now in Louisville, um, on the other side of Dallas. And he has been a consistent performer for many years as a district manager, always near the top of the charts, member of the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame, and has produced $15.8 million in Cutco sales. Michael. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, grateful to be here. All right, let's do this. I hear that you have a very interesting personal background from before Cutco. Let's start by hearing about that. All right, so I'm actually a first-generation Texan. So I was born in Dallas, Texas, but my whole family's from Iowa. Uh, my dad was one of seven that left 
my family farm to go get an education, pay his own way through college. My mom was more of a city girl. She was one of five and um, all of her siblings went to Iowa State. She met my dad at Iowa State. They moved down. Uh, he took an engineering job. My mom's a teacher. And then fortunately, I was grateful enough to be born in the great state of Texas. Otherwise, I'd probably be somewhere up in Iowa. Or you might have been a you might have been a cyclone instead of a longhorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a farmer or a carpenter. But uh, <laughs> yeah, that's um, grew up in Garland, Texas, which is kind of a suburb of Northeast Dallas, basically, is where uh, where I got started. Yeah, just uh, came from a pretty awesome background, great, loving family, hardworking, absolutely, is me, uh, my brother, and my sister. They're twins. My sister was born with cerebral palsy, so she had been in a wheelchair her whole life. And uh, my brother was always kind of like a more of an athlete. So he went on to play professional soccer. And then I guess I ended up going the business route. And then my sister got a couple degrees from UTD and... Uh, yeah, just very grateful to have a good, solid family background. It's, um, you know, a lot of that seems like it's not too common these days. So Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm sure you learned some things from your family that kind of had already taken hold as values within you before you even got to Cutco? Oh, definitely. So <laughs> I remember when I would get into trouble, my dad would always sit me down and say, well, you know, are you going to be a leader or are you going to be a follower? And that's something that always stuck out with me. Um, and part of being a leader is understanding right from wrong and, and doing your best to choose right. And then, you know, we would we would talk just, you know, different projects and things to do around the house. And he would always mention, you know, if you find something to do what you love, then you're never really going to be working a day in your life. So work really hard to find something that you do that you can love. And then um, it won't ever feel like work. And then we always had this big mantra, just God first and then family. And then, you know, everything else can follow your passions, your work, your school, all that fun stuff. So just some really good, solid pillars uh, of growing up and all that. Those values are kind of instilled in us growing up. Huge, huge family on both sides. I mean, my dad, one of seven, my mom, one of five cousins, aunts, uncles, great, great people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you mentioned you're a first generation Texan. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I'll meet people from, uh, who are Italian, but they're from Sicily and, oh. um, people who are Italian, but from Sicily, if you ask them, what's your background, they say, I'm Sicilian. They don't say I'm Italian. There's like this pride of I'm Sicilian. <laughs> and, so, and I've always, I've always told people the closest thing we have to that in the United States is Texas, yep. right? There's because a pride. travel. <laughs> yeah, there's a pride being a Texan, right? <laughs> I mean, I'll echo that. When we go travel for Cutco into foreign countries, you know, everybody's like, where are you from? And most people say, oh, we're from the United States. We say Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody knows Texas. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there is a pride. Sure. Exactly. Cool. Cool. So, we fast forward to 2000, Michael, and uh, you had the good fortune. Of coming across one Mr. John Carpenter, right? The man, the myth, the legend, the hundred million yeah. man. Um, yeah. yeah, tell us that about that. Was, John is uh, a very special person in my life. Absolutely. John, it, basically, I was I started with Cutco in a branch office and um, ended up being the top person there. The branch shut down, and uh, then I got into John's office just you know by proxy, and then. Um, 
I got to kind of be an understudy and watch John work. I remember the first time I met him, I showed up like 45 minutes early and he's like, what's this kid doing here so early? And I think after that, I was never early again a day in my life with John. <laughs> <laughs> but he has plenty of stories to say that. But yeah, so with, with Carpenter, you know, I, I learned kind of in Cutco in general, but with John, it's, it was more about maintaining a positive attitude. And then John had this uncanny way of making you feel like you're a part of this inner circle, making you in the know. He would always share some information with you to make you feel so special and so important. And then I also learned that you always want to always take care of your people. I learned that from Carpenter and just watching him. And we had, you know, not the greatest sales manager, but he still edified him. He still, you know, was able to kind of put him on the right path for success. And I would, I would always kind of just witness John work. And then we ended up becoming really good family friends. I'm in a pool league uh, with his wife. You know, we play and hang out every week on, on Wednesdays. Very fortunate to have John Carpenter in my life. And he's currently my division manager. Yeah. Yeah. There's a very famous saying that's a, a commonly attributed to Maya Angelou, which is the one about people don't remember what you say. They don't remember what you do, but they do remember how you make them feel. How you made them and feel. there's something special about how John makes people feel all around him that is a huge difference maker in making him such a great leader. And you had a chance to be exposed to that at an early age, which is really powerful. Very powerful. And you learn a lot about working with people. Yeah. Tell me some other of the early lessons that you feel like stand out from, from those days. I think one of the great things that I enjoy about the Cutco company is that everybody starts off the same. And there's always some type of mentality shift where it's like, okay, you know, let me make a commitment and just do this. And um, because there's always doubters when it comes to Cutco, especially starting with like inside the family, like my parents are very like, what are you doing? I just finished a freshman year of college. Um, I found the job through the Dallas Morning Newspaper. So, um, you know, I went to a, a branch office. It wasn't like I owned a car that year, so I would have to borrow transportation. But I learned how to make a schedule. That was an absolute game changer for me because my freshman year, I was late all the time. Everything was last minute, you know, party too hard, crammed too much the night before. Just a lot of the disciplines that you knew you should be doing, they just kind of went, you know, all over the place my freshman year. I also learned how to become a fearless communicator. And that was a really important thing for me because it increased my confidence. You know, we were selling like moms, aunts, grandmas, and family people. But it also, you know, I was 19 years old communicating with people that were twice, three times my age. I learned that if you never ask or put someone in the position to tell you no, the answer is always no. So it just built a lot of, built a lot of confidence uh, becoming a fearless communicator, which I think is such an important step for younger people. It's a big thing that I talk about these days as well in my, own, my current Cutco business. And then the last thing I would say, how to just commit to something and just go for it. I didn't hit a lot of the goals that I set out to do, but I learned a lot more about goal setting that it's, it gives you a good target to shoot for. What's really important is what you're doing in the process and who you're becoming in the process. And uh, those are some important lessons that very early on with Cutco, I was only 19 years old there, that just kind of just built into a little more of a foundation for who I am today. So, Yeah, outstanding. Um, I'd love to hear more about this idea of fearless communication. And, and um, maybe we can circle back to that a little bit when we talk about your district manager career and your role now. During college, you sold 
at first for a little while. You sold a lot in a short amount of time. And then you left the business for a while during the latter parts of your college years and and for a while after you graduated as well. Uh, what did you do during those years? So with Cutco, I moved up into management training and I was prepared and ready to run my own branch. And then on a flight home coming from Olean through Chicago back down to Austin, met a guy that ended up being my mentor and uh, helped me start my first business, even though Cutco was already in the process of doing that. So I um, started a prepaid legal business, prepaid legal insurance. And then a buddy of mine started a leads generation company. So for a while there, um, there wasn't much you would be able to do to inquire about legal problems without hitting one of our landing pages. So this is years ago when all that was still kind of kind of new. So I, I ran a, a phone telemarketing firm in my college apartment. And uh, I had six phone lines. Students would come in. We had three different shifts. And we would just grab the leads sell the service, get them on phone attorney, start solving, working towards their problems. And uh, we were um, with that company within the first two months, we were already invited to their Vegas annual convention. And we had a skybox there because we were crushing records. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was what I did, right? Instead of running a branch and then um, got serious about school. Uh, I didn't really, I, I didn't do that great that semester. I was making a lot of money. Um, so got really focused on school and just kind of made a commitment that, okay, I'm going to focus on my education and worry about business later. And so uh, dropped the business, got, got in, finished school. When I turned 21, I started with a wine company and that was a great buddy of mine. His name's Alex. He had a company called personalwine.com and I got, I came in as an intern and then ended up, you know, kind of helping him grow the business. And then kind of the exit strategy is that we were going to move it. Uh, a little bit up more towards Dallas. So after I had graduated, I was going to kind of open up personalwine.com Dallas, and he was going to keep the operations going in Austin. That's kind of how I, so after I graduated, moved back to Dallas, was doing the wine thing. And then I was like, maybe I should find another job, you know, see what this degree can get me. Got another job. So I got two things going right now. And then I think I reached out to Carpenter, but John and Dustin Marks, uh, we all went and had a dinner. We, I was just going to chit chat and, and talk with them, maybe talk about a little bit about investing in <laughs> the wine business. But it, that in, that dinner ended up turning 100% into getting me back into Cutco. And uh, that was actually a game changer. Very grateful for that night. Yeah. Nice. Finally in touch with Dustin to get him on this podcast here in the weeks, months ahead, whenever it unfolds. So you can look he forward needs- to that can look forward to that that one. Yeah. Nice. So you have this conversation with John and Dustin and they get you back into the business. You become a district manager in Garland. Is that right? Yes. Yes. After a little bit of training in uh, 2006, opened up and ironically grabbed Elise across the parking lot from where I had interviewed back in the year 2000. So six years prior to that. Bars were still on the windows of the office. The stairwells were still on the outside. It, did, it looked like an apartment complex. <laughs> nice. Well, you've built a great business and life starting from that, uh, that office space there in Garland. I know you were in Garland for quite a few years before heading over to the, what I believe is the Northwest side of nope. Dallas where you yeah, are North, North, North side. North yeah. North. Yeah. And you've been, uh, you know, as I referenced in the intro, You've been a top performer throughout your entire career. 
uh, many years up near the top of the competitive standings and uh, obviously member of the Hall of Fame. What do you feel like is your secret sauce as a leader, Michael? A couple of things. The first one is I've always been fortunate enough to recruit great people and, and get the right people on my team. And that only goes so far, but that's a very important step. And the other thing is I pride myself with being able to connect with people. Um, I try to give the vibe off that I truly care. A big thing for me is trying to understand someone's why, because, you know, in, in most of my career with, with Cutco, every single person that I meet with doesn't necessarily have a dream job of selling kitchen products or especially knives. And I know that if I can understand someone's why, why are they here? Why are they doing what they do? Why are they spending time right now doing this? I could be doing a million other things. It gives me a chance to connect. If I can get someone's perspective, if I can get someone's reason for being here, then it helps me connect a little bit more greatly. And I always try to teach that uh, whenever I'm interacting with, for example, my team, you know, I always try to figure out what's going on personally first, because personal will always affect business. So it's important to me to figure out, you know, how are things at home? You know, how is things with your girlfriend? You know, how are things with your parents? So I don't know if that's the secret sauce to me. That just feels like common sense. But I do try to put make it more about them as a person. And I probably got this from John Carpenter when you think about it. And so focusing on that relationship first and then the doors for everything else will remain wide open. Uh, this is a great, great subject for us to dig into is just uh, ha- how you do that in, in working with your people. Um, it sounds to me like it really fits that fearless communication term that you used earlier or description that you used earlier, because you're asking people questions that not everybody digs into, right? A lot of people have superficial conversations, particularly in social circles. Uh, and even in vector circles, a lot of times a manager to rep conversation is all about when's your next phone time, right? Um, how, how'd your demos go, right? What are your goals? Um, but it's not digging into people's personal lives. And I think that's something that's super valuable. Is that something you feel like you started doing in your early days as a district manager? Did that sort of evolve as a as a practice? How did that grow in your career? I mean, earlier, earlier on in my Coco career is just very like, okay, let me follow company programs. And then once I started taking full ownership, then it kind of opened me up and opened up my confidence that, you know, I can find my niche here. I can find my way, you know, there's the way, and then there's your way. And at some point, you know, they have to intermingle, but I mean, I found myself just being very scripted earlier on because remember I had left and I'd come back. So I was kind of relearning some things. And then once I started taking full ownership, like, okay, this is my business. These are my people. This is, I'm responsible for the growth of this organization. I've got some great leadership who's, who's going to guide me, but ultimately I have to take that responsibility. Then it opened me up mentally to be able to, I guess, connect more and care more rather than just kind of following a script or, or company programs. And then just being able to, you know, it's like your comfort zone. Anytime you take a step side out, outside of it, it continuously stays there until you do push it again and again and again. So starting to ask, you know, through personal consultations and personal coaching calls, asking the important questions that, that someone's on at last. Well, my favorite ones is what's, what's something that you want to learn that maybe your parents or education hasn't taught you yet. 
And to me, that gets someone to go to a different part of their mind and think like, what what do I want to learn? Someone asked me a long time ago, like, can you identify a moment where you were the happiest in your entire life? And again, that starts to invoke some emotion. And then people have to go back into their their mind and their memories. Like, when did I actually feel happy? And I feel like that that creates more of a genuine connection. And then you can kind of build from there. But again, the, the whole goal is trying to get back down to their why and their passion. So that way I can provide some value to use what I do now as a stepping stone to help them go from, you know, now to where they want to be. Yeah. That's some awesome stuff right there for sure. You also referenced Michael being great as a recruiter. John, John Carpenter has said this about you. He says, you know, in the pantheon of vector recruiters, that uh, maybe we'll give Trey Ketchum the nod as number one ahead of you, but that uh, you are one of the greatest recruiters in our company. What, what's a strength of yours in terms of you know, building a big team? The biggest strength is believing in what you're recruiting them for. Um, I, tell, I tell my team all the time, look, at some point, you're going to leave organization and it's going to be a stepping stone. You're either going to be stepping away from us as a better, more equipped person to go serve society in whatever dream job you go for. And, and you'll come back and thank us for that later. Or you're going to step up inside our business because we only promote from within. And in order to do that, to bring someone from what the heck is going on to, okay, I want to be a part of this. There has to be some compelling belief and some way to convey the value that the time that you spend with me is going to be worth it. I really love what we do with this company, with Vector. You know, that's where majority of my life is. I mean, I named my kids Steel, right? Um, the when it comes to recruiting, it's such a fun hunt. I I love the the mind shift change from wait, hold on, <laughs> what is this about? And then like getting them onto the team and then getting them in. And just completely watching that mindset change from like tiptoeing into the kiddie pool to like, all right, I'm in, let's do this. Um, that's so fun. And then I really believe in what we do. I believe that if someone sells $0 worth of knives, they're still going to be better for it by spending the time with us through the process. Even if, they, even if they've never interviewed before, they at least get the experience of an interview. Even if they've never um, sold anything before, they at least get that mindset, that confidence that they could if they wanted to, they get trained properly on goal setting, time management, communication skills, learning how to deal with what seems like rejection, but is really just a, a personal, like some type of preconceived notion that it's not really rejection, but it feels like it because if you've never done something like this before, um, and there's just so many things that just learning sales provides. And, and then most importantly, fearless communicating. Yeah. This idea of the vision of the value of the opportunity that you communicate, does that start out in the interview or does that start out in training? Like where, where do you first plant that seed? Uh, towards the end of the interview. So I think that in our business, we initially attract people through, whether it's someone who's been referred or someone who heard about us through some other way, like I was the Dallas Morning Newspaper, it's typically attracted through there's no experience necessary. So that's like, okay, good. Now I'm out of the catch 22 um, or the high income opportunity. So that's kind of the carrot that brings someone in and creates the interest. And then it's up to us to take that interest to interested to committed. 
And throughout the interview process, when talking a little bit about the team, sharing some stories about how other people have done well, I love, uh, just a little kudos to you here, Dan, I love sharing the um, little trailer that your podcast has for us to to share um, on how other entrepreneurs have kind of gotten their start in the same situation. And then you got to somehow bring them into the culture. Um, It's something that they want to be a part of. Yeah. I I love that example you gave of getting, taking people that have some interest, which is what we begin to build, turning them into truly interested, which is a different, more active way of looking at it. And then turning that into committed. Right. And the, the, the quicker we can take people through those, the, the cycle of those three things, Right. I think that we can from this the interview through the training take people through those three things where they're totally committed by the end of a training class. And that's a whole different ballgame when you have people like that who are out there doing their first few demos. And then of course it continues, right? The commitment's gonna ebb and flow, right? But it continues. You continue to do those same things as you're working with people in the early stages of their career, painting that vision of why they're doing this and what is the value. And then, of course, all those elements of how you connect with people that you shared contributes to that as well. That was really cool. Yeah, those personal conversations matter, um, especially once you have someone's buy-in, then it's easier to get someone to open up. You mentioned that you have a really strong passion, Michael, for teaching people. Um, you're, you're, You're big on coaching, guiding, mentoring people. This is a lot more than just helping people earn a paycheck for you. Uh, and, and I really, really respect that. Um, what do you feel like is a signature concept or core value that you really enjoy sharing with others? I like to paint the picture that it's okay to think differently. That just because, you know, maybe this is your goal and this is the path that you're supposed to, to do it with, um, there could be another way. And that's totally fine. I like to make things more meaningful. I feel like when it becomes more meaningful to them, then it's easier to teach and mold and coach. You know, it's, I, I learned this a long time ago. It was one of your guys, I believe. I think it was Hal. Um, it might have been John. But the, it's not about the uh, content that you're about to deliver, it's how prepared is your audience to receive it. And they would use that concept in like public speaking forums. But I take that very micro. Um, from the macro to the micro and say, I've got to prepare. I'm not just going to provide information. I want the person I'm providing information to, to be ready to receive it. So I, I think a lot of that has to do with just people don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care, old school stuff that we've learned. Having that belief that the time you're going to spend with someone is valuable. Um, why would anybody want to waste time? Right. You know, you can always make more money. You can always, change your attitude, positive or negative, but you can never get back time. Mm -hmm. Time has gone forever. So, you know, asking them questions that nobody asks, um, teaching them how to think differently. Uh, There's a concept that I teach a lot. It's it's kind of funny. I always ask someone if they've ever been on a date. And then, um, you know, most people have. And I go, well, when's the last time you dated yourself? You know, you're going to put your best foot forward on a date and you're going to ask some questions to get to know that person better. When have you done that with yourself? You know, I think it's important that you can get a little introspective, but again, that has nothing to do with knives. That's teaching someone how to be introspective and how to think differently. And then the knives just, you know, become the vehicle. Right. That's a cool analogy about being introspective, dating yourself. 
Yep. Right. Taking time to ask yourself key questions, journaling, anything like that. You you gave an example a, a moment ago also about having people be ready to receive information, getting people to be ready to receive the value that you're sharing with them. And and to me, there's two things that stand out at, with that. One of them is what you said. It's that they see that you care, right? That's first. The other one is them being built up themselves, them believing more in themselves. If you try to teach someone how to be great at something, but they don't think they can be great at that thing, there's nothing you're teaching them that's going to help them. That's so so the first thing we have to do is help people believe that they can be great at whatever it is we're trying to help them do. They can do well. They can, they see themselves as being a leader, being a top performer, right? That's we built expectation first before we give the how to. And that's a critical piece of this puzzle of having people be ready to receive information, right? Well, what do you feel like are the things you do to help build up people's expectations and belief in themselves? That's a great question. I think you're the expert at that. <laughs> but building building um, expectations, I think it's normalizing that it's okay to not be perfect and that it's okay to fail. And that those are really most of the keys to become successful. It's very rare that you hear a success story that didn't accompany it with overcoming some type of challenge. And so making, making challenges normal making it, making, helping someone realize that it's not going to be perfect. You know, the path isn't going to be a straight line from the bottom to the top. And then really focusing on the process. If you fall in love with the process and what you're doing along the way, then getting the goal or not getting the goal isn't going to be as important because you're becoming someone better along the way. And you may decide to change your goal. You know, I was never a big person on here's my goal and this is what I'm going to do to hit it. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to do it. I was always big on how can I get a little bit better? And if I'm going to do something, then how can I make sure that I'm fully focused and fully engaged on what I'm going to do? Uh, I stole the concept from Carl Gedris years ago. I heard it at an SLC. Um, and he said, it's 100%, not 100 hours. And I've stolen that and I've put it into all areas of my life and try to compartmentalize that. So I try to also teach that to, let's say, for example, a new rep who's trying to go for, for a fast start. You know, most, most new reps come in and like, I'm not even going to sell one knife. You know, none of my family is going to buy nothing. And, um, and then changing that mindset to uh, it's okay to think like that, but it's, it's not okay to believe that. You know, there's a difference between what you think right now and then what you can believe. And I love the cool thing about belief because it's just such an open abyss, right? You can mold and shape. It's like being a sculptor. You can mold and shape someone's beliefs by having those conversations about what they really want. And it may not be perfect, but because they've got the right mentality to get back up or make that next phone call or shake it off if they have a negative experience and realize that negativity typically speaks with a megaphone. So it feels almost um, like an attack, but positivity is the one that endures. And that's the, that's the stuff that makes it meaningful. Right? People mm -hmm. love to celebrate those victories, but people bitch, moan and complain all the time when things don't go well. Yeah. 
You, you talked about um, shaping people's view around failure and mistakes as a key part of building belief. And, and I think that's one of the most significant parts. And in particularly talking about that in advance before somebody gets into something, helping them understand that that's absolutely a part of the process to get to success is making some small mistakes, learning from them, moving past them, overcoming that adversity, right? That's a part of getting to where you want to be. It's a big part of what shapes us into who we are is looking back and seeing those mistakes that were made. Um, and it, it's only through a lot of what I think, what I think is a lot of small mistakes that people can truly get to great success. And it also shows that you're testing the outer limits of your current capability. And so it should be viewed as good, not bad when you have some small failures along the way. Oh, um, absolutely. And yeah. to add one more thing, it also gives them a permission to go for it. Yeah. You already told great them it's point. okay to fail. So there's really no reason to not go for it. Yeah. Great point. I like that. Tell us, Michael, about adversities in your life. Like what, what have you experienced and overcome in your own life? A ton. <laughs> the, the, I've got two, I guess, big things that, that come to mind. I was in, uh, I, I had three just long relationships. I didn't do a lot of dating around and, and whatnot. And uh, one of my relationships, you know, we got engaged after dating for five years and put together like an amazing destination wedding and uh, ended up calling the wedding off a few months beforehand, but people were already paid. Ended up going through with with what ended up being a party and, and a weekend. But um, one of the challenges for me is that, you know, I, I would look back and look at all the time and the money and the energy put into a relationship um, to just, you know, watch it, watch it crumble and fail. That was one of the most defining moments of my life mm -hmm. to realize that the person that I was becoming in a relationship was not the man that I desired to be. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, that moment that, you know, we didn't go through a wedding. We ended up, you know, breaking up, of course, it was really awkward contacting friends and family is weird how they automatically chose sides. Uh, I thought that was pretty interesting, but we still had a party. There was like a hundred people there. There's <laughs> a ton of Cutco people. It was at the Hard Rock Cancun. And it was, most people typically find a way to get together for weddings or funerals. We were, we found a way to get people together just because. <laughs> for us. But, um, you know, after that, I ended up meeting the, the love of my life. But in between that and, uh, and where I'm at now is I learned what it meant to be a man. And which is interesting because, you know, I'm older, <laughs> but, you know, I learned, I learned kind of, I guess the whole, um, the way of the superior man, you know, if you're not doing something now, you're probably never going to do it. Um, there's a certain art uh, to manliness. And I just learned a little bit more about personal confidence. I learned a little bit more about what do I really want, you know? And again, the whole idea of dating yourself, you know, I never really did that. But when you get really in, in, introspective when challenges, when you have to go through some challenges and then of course, you know, trusting in God and know that everything's going to be fine, you know, I end up meeting the love of my life. And that would have never happened if I didn't go through that. I wouldn't have become the type of person that I became um, to attract my wife. Yeah. And you're married now and you have a nine month old. Tell us about your family. Married. My wife, Olivia, she's awesome. She's a medical esthetician. She runs her own med spa. Um, so she started her business from scratch back in uh, 2020. It's kind of funny, the pandemic, um, we got married 
during the pandemic, well, February 2020, you know, she got furloughed. And so at the end of 2020 in October, it's like, well, why don't you start a business? So she started her own <laughs> or an own esthetician thing. But man, she's great. She's uh, inspired a lot for me. Another challenge that that overcame is um, I I had uh, this interesting relationship with alcohol throughout my life. My my big party trick was I could down a beer in under two seconds, and there's video of that internationally for that. And <laughs> <laughs> with Cutco, I, I think uh, up until you know uh, the the pandemic, I had never attended a Cutco event sober. Uh, this would include the uh, the big meetings and the, the the company trips and stuff. And I kind of built a, a reputation for myself as being somewhat of a party person. And uh, great stories. Tons of people tell me we have great stories that we've created. But ultimately, you know, it it's uh, when you get older and you get married and 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 you have kids, then you start to to think about things. But in uh, in 2019, which was a year before I met her. Or not a year before I met her, but uh, we we were engaged and stuff. But we we were going to get married in in 2020. That was when uh, you know I was inspired enough um, by her just to not be the person um, that I would become on alcohol and just just quit that cold turkey. Hundred mm. percent because of her and 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 um, a little percentage of because of uh, I didn't want to be a father that had some type of crutch to fall back on. I wasn't like this raging alcoholic but when when i would drink i would take it to extremes and then um that would end up it wouldn't be all the time but you know just every once in a while i would go too far and and i just don't ever desire to have that i want to be you know awesome for my son awesome for my wife and life's better than ever uh because of that but it's kind of interesting because we just got back from a from a cutco event and that was my first one ever where i wasn't under any influence Wow. Well, congratulations on overcoming that, that uh, challenge right there. Oh man, it's been awesome. Yeah. And your son is Steel? His name is Steel. That is cool. Good, strong American name, kind of intertwined Cutco because um, I, I met Liv through Cutco. She actually had sold Cutco, but actually I was engaged at the time. And then we got connected uh, a few years later after... Uh, I found out she quit her soccer team and I was like, wait, hold on. That's your passion. What's what's going on? <laughs> oh, okay. And you swooped in. Yeah. I swooped in. <laughs> <laughs> She's nice. The She's the best. Nice. And, and I know that uh, you're a pool hustler and uh, you love playing golf as well. Um, Michael, where do you stand on the list of great vector marketing golfers? Oh my gosh. Nowhere near Gilbert. I, <laughs> I was setting you up with that one right there. My, Good. My whole Good answer. Good answer. The whole idea of hundred percent, not a hundred hours is that I'm a pretty mediocre golfer. I'm, I'm probably more like a 12 or a 13 uh, handicap. Sometimes I get down to a nine, but man, when it comes time to perform or make that big putter, I can do that. So. <laughs> I'm a great scramble partner is what I like to say. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Chasing down my father-in-law, who's like a two. <laughs> oh, whoa, that's pretty good. Um, Gilbert just Gilbert just hit his first ever hole in one the other day. No way. Yeah, yeah. Is that at Talking Stick? Yeah, no, no. It was oh, okay. uh, here, here, in, here in California, and um, a lot of people he knew were around. It was some c- kind of like mini tournament with uh, 
I think there was like six, six people in the group at the time. So he had a lot of witnesses right there. And it was a, it was one of those, uh, uh, pitching wedge shots that goes over the hole and then rolls back and slowly rolls to the cup so everybody could see it slowly moving toward the hole and they the excitement built and built until it rolled in and then everybody went crazy. So of course. Pretty cool. That's how experience. it should be. It should be like that. <laughs> I was with a guy who hit a hole in one. He thought he hit it way over the green and then he looked in the hole and he was like, oh, it's in there. <laughs> hey man, congrats on your hole in one. <laughs> hey, I had that exact experience. Um, I hit a hole in one that I thought was off the back of the green. I had to slice it around some trees, and it was perfect for my shitty slice that I have. Um, and uh, it, it looked like it was going to bounce off the back of the green, but it was actually in the hole. So dumb luck in my case. Right. High okay. level of skill in Gilbert's case. <laughs> I know, right? He's can spin the ball backwards. Congrats to y'all, though. I'm still chasing that one. Yeah. Well, uh, Mike, this has been great. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff uh, you've shared here. A um, lot of great value. And I, I just want to give you an opportunity to wrap up here by thinking about, you know, your future and um, how you want to change lives as you continue in your role with Vector and you are a parent and all the other roles that you play in your life. You know, how do you aspire to change people's lives in the future? Yeah. Um First of all, thank you uh, for having me. I've never done something like this before. Honestly, I never thought anybody really cared. <laughs> but looking, looking at that personal confidence and looking, seeing yourself as a leader um, also comes with responsibility. And so I don't want to take the responsibility of leadership lightly. So I have to apply that to all areas of my life, not just inside of business, you know? Before we did this podcast, an incredible conversation with you, and it made me think a little bit differently and a little bit bigger about some things. But trying to take um, the the idea of 100%, not 100 hours, trying to take every moment as that could be that next defining moment. I know in your case, there was one, one question that you asked a certain somebody on an airplane that set up an entire trajectory of, of building an incredible network. I think that there may be tons of people, even like myself, that miss those moments. And that I'm going to tie that right back into fearless communicating. If you don't ask that question, then XYZ doesn't happen. And so understanding that those moments are always there and they're fleeting. So being more aware of those moments, taking advantage of those moments, being more equipped to be a leader, whether it's of people or of my wife or of my son or being a great family member, like to my brother and sister, and I have a, I have a massive family, um, or you know, getting more involved at my church, but trying to put myself in a position to where I don't miss those moments. Because you know, like, like we said earlier, time just keeps on going by, and when it's all said and done, you know, you're going to have a lot of friends and family, but ultimately, no one's going to care more about you than you. And if you're responsible for caring more about yourself than anybody else, then you want to be the best version of yourself and you want to keep, keep improving. And um, I'm grateful to have a lot of people in my life that share that same, that same value. Grateful for the company I've been involved with. Good Lord, with Vector and Cutco, just the idea of having, understanding a positive mental attitude and the, the idea of you can do and creating expectations of things that are possible um, are just, you know, it's, I just feel like that, no, most of the normal world doesn't get that, you know? And, and so that would be kind of my, my idea of inspiring others or maybe changing lives is to help people just be aware that, you know, that next important moment might be there 
Uh, don't be afraid, whether it's reaching out to someone, talking to someone, um, asking an important question, being a little more vulnerable. But that's what I mean by being a fearless communicator is not worrying about what people think and not worrying about what their reaction may be. Just do it anyways, because, you know, it could be that moment. Yep. Well said. Very inspirational. Thank you, Michael. This has been really great. I appreciate you being part of the podcast. I appreciate you being a great fan of the podcast as well, helping to spread the word. Uh, Thanks so much. It was great that we could finally get you featured here. I appreciate it. And I I thank you so much, Dan. It's been a blast. I've told people on a number of occasions that one of the things I've enjoyed most about doing this podcast is getting the chance to have deep and interesting conversations with a lot of really amazing people that in many cases I've known for a lot of years, but I've never really had the chance to connect with. And this is just another classic example of that. Michael, that was awesome. Really enjoyed being able to talk with uh, you here today. Just such great stuff. Fearless communication was a theme that resonated all throughout the interview. Michael learned that early on from observing John Carpenter and the way that John Carpenter interacted with other people. And Michael has been able to apply that in his own business, really connecting with people at a deeper level, being vulnerable with others. Some great questions he taught in there, including the question, hey, what's something that you want to learn that you haven't learned from like parents or school? And then connecting that to a way that they could, that the person could get that skill or that learning through their Cutco Vector experience. Michael also takes this into his personal life. He talked about the idea of deep introspection, asking yourself tough questions. The analogy of dating yourself, I thought, was an interesting and powerful one. And then just the responsibility of leadership and that every moment can be a defining moment and that you want to take those opportunities when they arise. He referenced an interaction that I had, which was actually with a celebrity poker player named Phil Helmuth. And I sat next to him in an airplane and was able with one great question to engage Phil in a conversation. It was clear Phil didn't want to have conversations. He had his headphones on the whole flight. He took them off right toward the end. And I knew I only had about 10 minutes. And just asked the right question that engaged him in a conversation and gave me enough of a connection that I could reach out to him later. Reached out to him later and involved him in this mastermind group I have of top achievers throughout the Silicon Valley, and then began building that relationship from there. And that led to some interesting opportunities for me, including being able to be invited to a book launch party inside Sheryl Sandberg's house, where I met, among others, Elon Musk, and also being invited to sit courtside with the Joe Lake of the Warriors owner. That happened earlier this year. Phil and I got to ride with Joe in the car up to the arena and back and stood in Joe's driveway for another 45 minutes to an hour just talking after we got back. And just these interesting opportunities that have arisen that come back to me not missing a defining moment where I needed to employ fearless communication. Think about how that might apply to you and make sure you don't miss those moments. I have featured Phil Helmuth on this podcast. It is episode number 230. Also, of course, John Carpenter has been a guest, episode 49. There's also a Flashback Friday, which is a short version of John's original, and that's episode 307. Check those out. Put them on your 
to listen list next. Hope you enjoyed Michael Dobson today. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives. 